Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined by Rob Cassidy from Miami, Florida. Rob, how's it going today? It is going, man. It's uh, another week, another wonderful week during college football season. Um, so, you know, that's better than the alternative of no college football. And I'm loving college football. And I know one man who was in the dark all weekend of college football, Nick Kruger, joining us from Texas. Hey, Nick. What's up? All, all you need to know is that Texas is definitely back and they're never going to lose another game again. And uh, Rob Cassidy was possibly right when he said maybe we were getting a little ahead of ourselves when it came to the Longhorns. You know, I was watching – listen, I was watching the – I watched the start of that game. I think, I think they – I was in a nice Italian restaurant in Houston, Texas, the great city of – and uh, the game was on a television. We were the only people in there. You know, and of course, my wife hates it when we're out at a restaurant and there's a TV on, especially if it's on football. She's had enough of football. And we're watching, we're watching the game. Texas is out to like a 17-3 lead. I'm like, oh, man, this is great because Cal's coming in trying to recruit Texas. This, will re- this is really just a knife twist scenario for the Longhorns. Get home the next morning. Come to find out what happened. Well, guess what? The whole Big 12 stinks. Yeah, you know, we crowned them as Big 12 <laughs> champions two weeks right. ago. I mean, the whole world did, right? Okay, well, let's let's get right into the old uh, top five topics this week. Number one, we want to talk about Oklahoma and uh, Notre Dame specifically as the two of them uh, both lost again this weekend. Notre, uh, Oklahoma, we'll start with them since we already talked about them. They had a ton of big visitors in. Obviously, uh, I think uh, you know several five-stars, several top 100 players were there. And boy, their uh, message board over at Soonerscoop.com was a real meltdown situation. People wanting Bob Stoops fired. Uh, it was really crazy. So I guess we should sort of, uh, Nick, we can start with you. You know, What did you think the reaction from the recruits down there? I saw Marvin Wilson uh, give an interview with our Ohio State site talking about how impressed he was with them. And obviously, if you're Oklahoma, having Marvin Wilson in you know, one of the top defensive tackles in the country, you don't want him talking about how good the other team looked. So do, do you think this is a bad situation for them or, uh, can, you know, is it just, just a loss that they can get over? Yeah. If you're a Sooners fan, that's not the reaction that you wanted to hear kind of insult to injury following the result. And, uh, honestly, you know, Marvin Wilson, isn't the only guy there that they were, had to worry about impressing Jeffrey Okuda, who's probably closer to a decision between Oklahoma and Ohio state than, uh, Marvin Wilson is at this point, you know, was also on hand and, had a chance to see that game. And really, when you're talking about a guy who's uh, probably closer to making a decision between fewer schools than, than Marvin Wilson is at this point, uh, a game like that you know, can only help Ohio State's case and, and might be one of those little things that kind of tips the scales a little bit more in their favor. Um, you know, so it was a little disappointing not, not only to see Marvin's reaction, uh, but to assume that, that Jeffrey had kind of a similar takeaway from that. And you know all these recruits talk to each other about things, and they'll all probably be, uh, you know, kind of comparing and contrasting uh, the notes and takeaways that they had from their visits. You know, as far as the guys uh, that were on hand that are already committed to Oklahoma go, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned there. Uh, you know, I think the feeling is that that, the, that group of guys all committed early enough in the process and, and Oklahoma was able to put together such a big group of, uh, you know, top ranked committed guys, uh, you know, ahead of the season, you know, that they all started, you know, kind of drinking their own Kool-Aid a little bit and thinking that regardless of what happens this season, regardless of what happens next season, you know, this is a group of players that's going to come in and be a difference makers as a unit, you know, at some point once they all get onto the field. And I think it's, it would really take a lot, you know, to kind of sway that, um, that notion from that group collectively. And so I think, you know, as far as those guys are concerned, there's not a whole lot to be worried about. And I think our good friend, uh, Josh McQuestion, did a great job of, of kind of following up with a lot of these kids and, you know, getting that info, too, 
uh, from the guys that were there on the visit. Hot take. Oklahoma is still going to win the Big 12. Uh, I don't know that that makes anything that's happened to this point irrelevant. But I think that if they do win the Big 12, which we've already discussed is a very down league right now, and I think that they will, uh, maybe the bigger picture trumps the smaller picture, and, and kids that are looking down the stretch uh, see them as Big 12 champions and not as the team that lost to Ohio State pretty badly. At home. Well, I think I think at times a lot of fans don't realize is that you know several of these kids are are you know have a pretty good idea of, of where they're going at this point, and you know a, a single game's results you know is not going to make that happen. Now, if they miss a, if they win six games or something, sure, but you know. There was a, there was a few players there that that I know, you know, said they had a good time. I talked to Tyler Taylor, the linebacker. You know, I talked to Jacob Phillips, who was there last week. He's not saying, okay, Oklahoma lost. Now I'm never. Now I'm not going to Oklahoma. They, you know, everything that I've liked about them before is now over. I mean, you know, these kids all lose several games. These are the best players in the country, and they lose several games uh, in high school. So. I think, you know, I, I definitely don't think Bob Stoops is getting fired. I think they were in a college football playoff last year. Uh, I, I, I think I think it's a little a little t- uh, easy to uh, to freak out from that perspective. But, yeah, I'm with you guys. You know, if they, they go on and do what they need to do in conference, it'll be fine. Uh, s- switching to Notre Dame, boy, they, they also had a lot of big visitors in, including the aforementioned uh, Phillips. They go, they go out and really uh, fall way behind. They try to make a comeback. It's too little too late. But then yesterday, they pick up a four-star defensive lineman in Donovan Jeter. So that's just that even further proves the point that, guess what? He didn't care that they lost that game. And a lot of, a lot of coaches end up spinning these losses to, hey, look, we need you. Look how bad we need you. <laughs> I've had several kids tell me that when they go to some place and there's a loss, they say, oh, look, you know, it just proves, you know, they need me in the mix. So, uh, look, the, and there's some of these stories that are written every week. How does this game affect recruiting? And the answer is not at all. Usually like one game in a vacuum, no matter what happens, uh, is not, unless it's a head to head game between the two teams that the kid is considering. And the only thing that matters to him is who wins that game. And I can't imagine that that is something that takes place very often. Uh, it doesn't. You know, one game in a vacuum has no effect on recruiting. I think that's one of the biggest misnomers there is when it comes to recruiting. Uh, now, the grand scope of the season and if your coaching situation is stable affects recruiting incredibly. But, uh, you know, the result of one single game uh, isn't going to, yeah, like you said, isn't going to burn the retinas of some recruit that happened to be in the stands, especially when it's a game at Oklahoma at night where the atmosphere was the way it was. Sure, they lost the game. But, I mean, if you don't think that everything else that happened around that game and the fact that it was even being played and the enthusiasm that surrounded it uh, also had an effect on those recruits, you can't just ignore that, um, then you're crazy. Yeah, so, (laughs) yeah, obviously it's tough for, for, especially for recruiting, uh, you know, the fans are fanatics for a reason, so it's easy for people to freak out. But, uh, you know, I think obviously that everything uh, should right itself in those two situations, especially with the way that the schedule breaks coming up. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys in terms of uh, the, the freak out mode. Uh, you know, one team that, that I think their fans are freaking out and I am starting to get some recruits maybe freaking out a little bit as well. That's LSU. I mean, it, it's interesting to see what's happened there as, as things have shaken out. They now have Danny Etling as their quarterback and they look better but uh, you know they squeaked out one against Mississippi State, twenty-three to twenty, as they made a late charge. And and the question is, you know, there was an article in the 
one of the local newspapers down there in Louisiana kind of going over their quarterback recruiting. And uh, over the past, I think it said over the past 16 quarterbacks they brought in, only three have finished uh, school there and, and actually graduated and not transferred to gone somewhere else. So I, I kind of wanted to talk with you guys about why, what's going on. I mean, it seems like they rec- – it seems like – Whenever they have success, they have a pro-style quarterback, but they go out and recruit some of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the country, and then they don't end up working out, and then they end up right back where they were. So is it an offensive problem? Is it is it a recruiting strategy problem? Have you guys noticed this? You know, Rob, what do you think on that, on that situation with the Tigers? No, I mean, it's definitely a, a thing that exists. I mean, at this point, it's a trend. It's not like, you know, one or two off, oh, here's a coincidence. Um, the explanation for that trend is a little bit more complicated. I think I'm not sure that I have an answer for that. Uh, you know, you would think, you know, you don't want to like pawn it off on quarterback development, but at this point, I mean, it's not like they're going out and getting cast offs. Right. And it's not like that we could have, and services like ours could have overrated this many quarterbacks at this point. Right. So you got to meet in the middle. It's probably a little bit of not recruiting for their style, a little bit of us, maybe overranking a prospect or two, and a little bit of less miles of staff, not being able to develop guys that have talent. Uh, it's never one thing, you know, there's always, you know, it's never one extreme almost in any circumstance. There's probably some mix of those three factors. Uh, and I, I don't know where you would pot that on a graph, but it's that would be at least my measured take is that it's some blend of those three situations. I, I think, uh, you know, any, anytime that we talk to, anytime that we talk to other recruits that are considering LSU and you ask them about, you know, what they think about the program, what they know about uh, the offense, what they're looking forward to once they get out there, you know, the one, the one constant is always, you know they they know they can count on a strong running game and it's and it's and it's obvious because they have you know Leonard Fournette they have Darius Geis waiting in the wings they have you know they've had other guys the past couple of seasons uh, but you know you when you look at when you look at the recruits that they have in the fold I mean I, I don't think you know any any of the three of us are particularly high on on Lowell Narcisse's prospects as a quarterback coming in out of this class you know I thought Miles Brennan really showed well for himself at the opening um, and it and if he is as good as you know he looked on uh, on television during that week uh comes in and and you know plays a little bit better than where we currently have him ranked and you would think with the offensive coordinator there like Cam Cameron who's supposed to be a you know a passing guru that the stars would sort of align at some point and they could get it figured out but you know it's uh it's it's really been a rumpy uh <laughs> a rough road for him <laughs> well, i was going to say bumpy and then i was going to say rough and then i said rumpy <laughs> rumpy speaking of great co- speaking of great college football quarterbacks uh at 11:48 as we record this right now eastern time uh mr tim tebow has hit his first home run as a met wow uh, in an instructional league <laughs> yeah how about that over the right field fence boy has he prayed at every base around you know making the rounds or i, I can only imagine I, I cannot wait to see the post game all right let's just promote him all right sorry I so, to, so I if we look at the if we look at the past three years what they've been able to do a quarterback they took brandon harris who we ranked as a four-star and i personally i liked him a lot when he was in high school so i'm at the under armor game that year that was in 2014 then in 2015, they take one quarterback. It's a two-star in Justin McMillan, which, you know, I, I don't think exactly. He's from Cedar Hill, Nick's neck of the woods, but wasn't exactly, uh, you know, highly recruited, I would say, as he had an offer from UNLV in Arkansas State and Stephen F. Austin. Um, and, of course, we got hammered for that one, for him being ranked too low. And then and then last year, they ended up taking Lindsey Scott, who was a quarterback uh, for the the world-famous bootleggers. But, you know, he was a guy being pursued by schools like 
Oregon State and Army. So, I mean, that's why Danny Etling's there. You, you know, things have kind of fallen apart. I think I think resetting things and getting a guy like Brennan's the right way to go if they're going to keep running this offense. Uh, I can't speak to uh, Dunkelman. Is that his name, Dunkelman? Dinkelman. Dinkelman. Zach. Uh, Zach all football names. Who's it? Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, twenty a twenty eighteen quarterback who's committed there. I think he's a more of a a pro style guy as well. But you know, and then Narcisse, as we mentioned, who just suffered his second ACL tear in his as many years. It's it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough situation. I'm interested to see if Cameron can survive the year and if he can if he can turn things around. Uh, Tennessee made some news this this uh, weekend when they picked up a commitment from four-star DB Terrell Bailey out of Louisiana, and uh, a lot of the Vol fans were angry. We have him ranked as a four-star. He comes from a, a program there in John Errett where uh, they, they, ha- they have produced some pretty good talent. A friend of the show, Don Cox, worked there for several years as well, coaching the DBs. But uh, the Vols fans did not seem thrilled because this was a guy that, that LSU hadn't offered. We have him ranked a lot higher than others because uh, the three of us actually saw him at the camp in New Orleans. My question is, you know, what's 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 kind of going on with Tennessee and their in-state recruiting? Are they, you know, do you think it's a problem where some of these programs think the grass is greener on the other side because they've taken several three-stars from out of state and then that overlooks some guys in state. Do, do you guys think that's Nick? I guess we'll start with you. Do you think it's a problem where teams are maybe, you know, looking, looking across state borders when they do have talent in their own backyard? Mm. You should, you should be answering this yourself. You should be, you're the, you're the <laughs> one that's, <laughs> you I know, I should be this question. Well, let's look at Tennessee's recruiting class. I mean, we got Louisiana, Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. They got, they got, they got one, two, three, four or five they got six kids in their class from tennessee committed and they have they have a huge commitment list right now one of them's a kicker and i'm just i'm just sort of confused man i mean i you know there's no i i definitely think it's good to go out of state and nab you know four-star guys you know they went they got uh rob rob really likes defensive tackle kyvon bennett from down there in uh, fort lauderdale and they got a four-star from virginia but i mean I, I worry about you know some of these some of these guys that are on the bottom five five three stars coming from South Carolina, coming from Georgia, coming from Louisiana, or, uh, even Connecticut. When you got highly ranked players, I think you know personally. As I was working on the state rankings yesterday, if we're talking depth of talent, I think Tennessee has more talent than Louisiana. Uh, they, they produce more Division One players. Uh, and so you know, they have over the past few years, at least. And we see guys like, uh, Ugo Amadi, who's someone we really enjoyed, uh, out at Oregon playing and starting for them. And, uh, Kareem Moore, who's a, who's a DB from the state of Tennessee starting for Arizona state. He was an all American mix last year as a, as a true freshman. So I don't know. I mean, eh. Are we talking about guys that Tennessee has passed on and not offered and not pursued or guys that are choosing to go elsewhere despite having Tennessee? Well, it's really a gamble for them, right? Because if they if they say, "Listen, we we, you know, we you have to you have to play the numbers game with the number of offers that you put out to kids and how many, you know, what percentage you think it uh, of kids that you think you actually well, have unless a, you're Louisville and then you can and then you can offer well, right or Kansas or whoever, okay. you know, fill in the blank. But for Tennessee, who's a, a more a bigger 
program that has to weigh that out a little bit more earnestly. I mean, it, and it's tougher for them too, especially when you when you when you pin so much of your hopes for the following seasons based on kids from out of state that you don't have a chance to see on a regular basis, like you do kids in state. Your communication is different with those kids, you know, and then and then you have to you have to fight off all the other in state school. Like you know, they've they've been pretty. They've been relatively proactive in Texas. There's so many schools in Texas that they're going to have that they're choosing to compete with, not to mention all the other SEC schools that, you know, that they have to compete with too. I mean, it's really, you know, you're really setting yourself up for a for an uphill battle when you go about that strategy like that. Look, man, unless unless you're passing on these kids, if you're Tennessee, you are in a state with Vanderbilt. Look, man, I'm not going to I'm not going to poo-poo on Vanderbilt here as a university or an institution <laughs> because obviously not, but my word, this is a team that can't get anything done, right? If you cannot recruit head-to-head against Vanderbilt for the most part, uh especially with your academic restrictions and all that going on there on top of not being able to actually win football games, uh if you're choosing not to go head-to-head with Vanderbilt for whatever reason, I, I mean, you'd think there'd be a player too. You for for all intent, you should be able to get. If, I guess what I'm saying is, if you're Tennessee, you should be able to have your pick of the litter of in-state kids, uh, and there should be no excuse for a guy escaping the state and then becoming a star elsewhere, right? Well, right. Well, you know, we're talking about you know Jacoby Stevens slipped out. You know, he's committed to LSU. He's the top player in the state. That's okay. But you have a guy in T. Higgins who's right there in their backyard. He's committed to Clemson. You have Amari Rogers, who is the son of T. Martin, who you know was a famous quarterback there. Obviously, won a national championship. He's going to Clemson, and then uh, you know you have several other players going to Mississippi State and and schools like that. Now, my question is, like you like you said, why you know I don't think they missed on all those the, the first three guys that they missed on sure, but some of these other guys I think they may have you know maybe misevaluated early. Look at Jacob Phillips. I mean. Alabama's willing to take his commitment as a linebacker and the you know he was told by Tennessee early on that he didn't have the speed he was too stiff and then you know he's getting recruited by Oregon Oklahoma Notre Dame you know LSU and now Tennessee wanted to get back in the mix but it's a little too late so I don't know I th- I think it's uh, you know I th- I think it's really a tough situation I think I just think sometimes and I you know I think schools like Georgia are guilty of this too you kind of take the kids for granted that are right there in your backyard. I just, you know, I, I think it's sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. And, you, you know, we look at Tennessee's team, which is, you know, a top 25 team. I'm not sure exactly where they're ranked. And their best players are Tennessee kids, Jalen Hurd, Josh Malone, Jalen Reeves-Maben. Those are all guys from that Nashville uh, area that they recruited and they kind of built the team around. So, I think it's going to be key for them to get back to that because, you know, the, this year's class, while there's a lot of commits, they're, ten, they're ninth in the nation right now. I think by the time things shake out, and unless some of these guys really move up in the rankings, they'll probably be, you know, in the 15 or lower range unless they get some, you know, big-time guys in here soon. So now this will this will go over this this podcast is going to go over real well on the Tennessee board by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing though. I mean, those people want to burn your house down anyway, right? So at this point, how much worse going to get for you? It's people like Kruger and I that need to run and duck for cover because now they're going to expand their scope uh to include our houses. Well, they they love to uh take things that you you or Friedman or Farrell say and attribute them to me. So this will just be pretend it was three of me talking to myself. But, uh, you know, I, I think Tennessee's on the right track. I'm, I'm just saying I think maybe it's time for a recalibration when it comes to looking, you know, overlooking some of these 
some of these in-state guys. That's yeah, all. That's I tell you, all I'll tell you what, if, if they don't beat Florida, there's going to be a recalibration. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just in a much different way. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's move on. We, we saw this weekend, uh, Nebraska, Oregon went into Nebraska. Uh, they get the win there. I, I saw it billed as an upset, even though the three of us know that, uh, Nebraska was the favorite going into that game. So, um, it was a big win. There were several big visitors there. We hear a lot, you know, this kind of a niche recruiting thing that a lot of people might not know about, but Nebraska's recruiting in California, especially in the Calabasas area, uh, you know, home of the Kardashians, recruiting that area very hard, working with uh, Keyshawn Johnson Sr. They got his son, you know, heavily in the mix there as well, a bunch of other highly ranked players. They call it the Calabrasca movement. Does this win over a big Pac-12 team, you think, give them more momentum there? I know Mike Farrell wrote about it today. Do, do we really see these kids going, highly ranked kids, going from California to Nebraska and, and overlooking you know, the, the USC's, UCLA's, Oregon, et cetera? You have to forgive me. I don't know because I'm not out there in the Pac-12 region. Obviously, I concern myself with the people in the southeast. I, I need to look at how many of these kids have offers from you know the UCLA's and USC's of the world that are deciding to forego California and go to Nebraska. I know they're pretty big time prospects. I just wonder how many of them are actually turning their nose up uh, and how many aren't. And either way, it's an impressive run from Nebraska being able to do this because they are sh- snubbing other West Coast schools, no matter who those West Coast schools tend to be. And I think this probably plays into that. Like I said, this result in a vacuum doesn't mean much, but because they already have this pipeline that's been a little bit publicized. Uh, and then they get that win over Oregon. I think that plays in, uh, you know, kind of to the whole narrative now. Uh, so yeah, I think it probably helps build a little bit of momentum. I don't think it's going to be, you know, world shaking, but you know, it, 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 every little bit helps. Yeah. Right now they got two commits. They got Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Who, uh, I would say the jury's still out on his, uh, upside from the perspective of the three of us on this call. Uh, and then Tristan, uh, Gebbia, I believe it's pronounced the quarterback, also from Calabasas, a guy that's ranked pretty high. I know uh, Ole Miss thought they were going to get him at one point. I think he uh, has ties to the school there. Instead, he, instead he picks Nebraska. And they, and they actually are doing a pretty good job of recruiting nationally, uh, you, know, they, you know, some other places. Those are the only two California commits, but several big targets, you know, Darnay Holmes and guys like that. Um, I don't know. I think. I think. You I don't know. think they're getting him right. Like, I mean, if they get him, that's a giant, giant victory. That's a victory over USC and UCLA. I, you know, I don't think they're getting him, but hey, you never know. Well, some some of the things just have to fall into place, and it's looking like obviously USC is having all sorts of problems out there. They're switching quarterbacks. I, I don't think Clay Helton is long for this world. I think it's time for USC to stop spinning off the same assistant coaches for. I mean, they've been doing it for a decade, and they have not been good the entire time. So at, at what point do they realize we're going to have to go outside of the uh, Pete Carroll tree to, to do something? But I, I think they're going to be bad, and if they, don't, if they don't fire Helton this year, I think it's going to hurt their class. You know, UCLA is fine, but, you know, they're never, they're never great for some reason. They, did, they have done a good job recruiting. Uh, but Oregon looks to be on the downside of, of their big run as a national power. I think those days are, are pretty much over. So they could do it, but it's going to be tough. And I think you got to get these kids out to Nebraska on official visits ASAP because, uh, you know, once, once it starts snowing and getting cold, we all know how the kids from the Southeast react when they go up on those visits and they see snow and they're freezing. So, 
uh, I think Nebraska would be wise to strike while the iron's hot in terms of getting those guys out there. Yeah, and there's something to be said for those Nebraska official visits. I've been on that stadium on a, a number of occasions, and it really is a really cool atmosphere. Like you know, they make a we you know I like to we all like to kind of mock Nebraska for you know the pride and you know we sell out spring games and all this. But if you're an official visitor on that field uh, and that stadium is full, you know, 30 minutes before the game, every game, no matter if they're playing, uh, you know, Michigan or FAU. Uh, you know, it's pretty impressive to see. And I think, you know, that's why they need to get these guys besides get them on, on campus early to avoid the cold is to get them in that stadium and really sell what, what you do best. And that's fill that stadium and be the only show in town. Was Now, yesterday, we'll move on topics. Yesterday was a big uh, reveal, I believe, of some new Miami uniforms, new old uniforms. I guess they're trotting out the old, uh, you know, back from the heyday. I personally, you know, they looked fine, but <laughs> I wasn't super impressed. I haven't been, I haven't been really impressed with any alternate uniforms this year. I mean, I liked, uh, I don't know what I liked. I, I hated the LSU ones they wore the other day. I know I, oh, I like the Oregon yellow ones that they wore a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I haven't been impressed with the with with the other ones they wore either. The, you know, Rob, you wrote this on here to, talking about. Do kids actually care about these uniforms? I and mean, we've seen everybody kind of have multiple alternates per year and everything. Now it's kind of a – there's no real advantage. It used to be, you know, a few schools had have several different options. Now everyone's got hundreds of options. So what do you think? I mean, do, do the kids care that much? I mean, do they, do they care about the old U is back or – I mean, obviously none of them remember or were alive during that time. So I think this only works for Miami if they have a good season. Uh, they should have waited to roll these things out until they were 6-0 and or something, right? And then, like I said, it adds to a larger picture. I mean, uniforms, like single-game results, in a vacuum don't matter at all. No kid is going to pick a school just because they have nice, fancy throwback uniforms. But if you can use it to advance a narrative, um, which Miami could have if they would have waited a little bit longer and had they continued to win, and then you're like, okay, not only is the old you that you've heard about back, here's the look on top of it. Uh, then it becomes a whole larger, you know, it becomes the whole larger narrative that people can buy into. Um, I think they're great. I, I think they're, I think they're cool looking. Uh, maybe it's nostalgia for me. Maybe I wouldn't care as much if I was a recruit, but you know, I think just looking at them and, and I think it's really awesome to have those uniforms back. No, they're definitely, they're definitely cooler than, uh, than what they have been wearing. It, the timing is strange. Uh, just a couple games into the season, you would have thought like if they're, if you're going to hire Mark Richt and you're going to bring him in as a new coach and he represents you know, a, a, a time gone by of, of glory days of Miami football that they would have unveiled the uniforms at the same time that they introduced him as the, the head coach and really went all in with it. I guess it, does, I guess it doesn't matter that much, but that would have seemed like more appropriate timing. Um, man, I remember, I remember when Miami, uh, when they first switched to those, those uniforms um, where they had like, you, you remember Georgia Tech's uniforms that they've been wearing for the past 10 years and Miami did them first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that when they first switched to those uniforms, though, I was like, "Man, that's really cool." Even though they had like the weird uh, pants stripe that just stopped in the middle of nowhere for no reason, and uh, you know, now I'm looking at their uniforms. I'm like, "Why are they all chopped up with the stripes on the sleeves and the pants?" And they got the big clunky logo on the back. So I'm glad they cleaned them up. They look, they look much better they, I mean, to me. If you're a Miami fan and they wait just a couple more weeks and you've got any confidence at all that you can beat Florida State. Let's say they get past Georgia Tech then they play Florida State and they somehow win that game because let's be honest, Florida State isn't looking like a juggernaut right now. I mean, they obviously have the athletes and can turn the season on a dime. But And then they release the uniform. So, so you've beaten Florida State now. 
Uh, that game is at Miami. Uh, and then those uniforms come out a day after you beat your in-state rival. Uh, then I think that that really becomes an avalanche of recruiting momentum. Uh, and maybe they should have waited. I, that's, if, if I'm making the decisions, I wait. Whether or not kids, I mean, kid, you're right. Kid, I mean, no, nobody's going to believe that a kid will pick a school based on uniforms alone. But don't, I mean, we can't pretend like it's not a, a recruiting tool at some point. I mean, every, oh, and absolutely. Re, regardless, and, and it's not just the uniforms, too. I mean, we've seen I, the one that comes to mind, I can't remember, a couple seasons ago ahead of a bowl game. Uh, Clemson released a tweet with like all the gear that their players got ahead of their bowl game, all the warm up. Cl- I mean, it was like it was like you know forty pieces of of clothing, and they put it out there to show kids like, hey, you know, this is what we're getting with the the whole experience or whatever. So I mean, you know, and we know from the camp life that you know kids do care about getting the gear. So you know, the uniforms definitely kind of fall into that family of rationale for sure. Yeah, we we see schools have custom, you know, there's a lot of custom Nikes, there's custom Adidas, or some schools have custom Jordans, and the schools do like that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Nick's obviously the uniform expert. He pays a lot closer attention to those details than, than we do. But, oh, uh, oh, but hey, listen, too, and, and, and uh, you know, when, when Michigan switched to the, the Jumpman uniforms, you know, friend friend of the podcast, you know Benjamin. Big shout took a lot of flack on on Twitter for saying, "Hey, you know, I really like these uniforms." You know, everybody thought that the sky was falling. He was going to flip from Iowa to go to Michigan based on you know, and he had to come out and clear the air on Twitter and say, "Hey, listen, just because I give a shout out to a uniform, you know, let's not let's not go all overboard with it, man." Whew. Well, but if you want any uni- if you want any Michigan uniform coverage, go back and look at. Uh... Uh, also friend of the podcast coach Brandon Brown's Twitter feed where he was just salivating for weeks over the release of the of the jumpman gear it was really I had to send him a few text messages you know about taking a cold shower uh, (laughs) it was it was it was really bad for a while there so so not just uh not just kids get excited reporters get excited too so um, I'll tell you someone who was excited. Uh, it's our guest this week, Rob. You had a chance to, uh, I guess, not sit down. You you, you might have been sitting down. I don't know. Or he was sitting down. But Colorado head football coach Mike McIntyre joined the show. Talked with Rob about several topics. This was prior to uh, their game against Michigan, where they actually had a really good showing. Uh, wasn't for their quarterback getting injured. Who knows? They might have pulled the upset there. So uh, let's jump into that interview. Rob, take it away with uh, Coach Mac. Joined now by Colorado head coach Mike McIntyre on the podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, apparently, off the air, I just learned you're, you're a Miami guy yourself, right? Yeah, sure. I was born there in, in Coral Gables at Doctor's Hospital a long time ago. <laughs> so, right in my neck of the woods. I live, you know, probably walking distance from there. So, you know, that's that's good to know. Anyway, but now you've got ties to the area. You've taken over at Colorado, which traditionally never really recruited in Florida or did in spots. Uh, did you make it a priority when you got there? Did that happen later? And you guys have really started to do work down in the southeast. It, it happened a little later. I was, um, you know, I hired um, Joe Tumpkin, who um, went to Miami Hialeah Lakes. Um, and then um, he grew up down there and he's always recruited down there. And then um, I hired Jim Levitt, who's recruited down in Florida. And then um, our other secondary coach, um, uh, Charles Clark, is from Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, so we have a lot of ties in there. And then, of course, I went to school at Georgia Tech and got my master's at Georgia. So we had a lot of connections in the Georgia area, too. We felt like it was a, a definitely a hotbed of talent. And there's a lot of young men. We talked to them and said, hey, do you want to 
stay in the southeast down there, or do you want to come and play in the Pac-12 and see the mountains? So there's a few kids that want to do that for sure. Uh, it seems to it seems to have worked for you. I mean, you've got guys on the roster now, obviously. This is about year three of you guys recruiting in Florida. Have you guys seen much of a difference in, in the inroads that you've been able to make down here in just the short time that you've been doing it? Yeah, we're, we're making some inroads. And, uh, you know, we had to get um, two young men, um, Anthony Jomissi and um, – Johnny Huntley, um, and uh, they both from the same high school there, and so we're, we feel like we're making some inroads, and um, we hope to get some more guys from Florida this year. Is there anything to that, or is it a little bit more overblown that these the skill positions in Florida and the speed and all that is that just some kind of reputation that's developed, or is there really something to that? No, there really is something to that. There, there's no doubt. There's a lot of speed and athleticism, um, and. Uh, seems like to me the closer you get to water the more speed there is the farther away you get from water the less speed there is <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's 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 probably some scientific uh explanation to that i'm not real sure what it is but i'm sure it exists you and i the last time i think we spoke was you had just taken over there i had just taken the job at rivals uh so we kind of came in you came into colorado when i came into rivals uh what if you what's the biggest difference speaking to you now than the first time that we conversed when you first took over the job and the culture up there and, and it seems like everything's kind of going in the right direction for you guys yeah we are going in the right direction um you always want to go faster than, than it does but it always takes time to build a foundation um you know we have a lot of great things going on here number one um facility wise you know we just moved into our 156 million dollar football facility last august so we've been in it one year now a little over a year and that is it's a tremendous facility, and that's helping us a lot in recruiting. And then, um, you know, then our program's getting better and better. And uh, you know, the Pac-12 is a, 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 you know, arguably there's always arguing who's better, SEC or Pac-12. And so it's a it's a big time conference with a lot of appeal. And uh, and of course, Boulder's been voted the number one college town in America many times, and it's beautiful. And then we're only 20 miles from downtown Denver, so there's a, a lot to do here. No, you know, I've, I've eaten, I've eaten at some places in Boulder. I think is there a place called the Kitchen Sink there that that, that serves up sandwiches? Is that correct? There's a place called the Kitchen, and then there's a place called the Sink. So you've probably eaten at both of them. The Sink is a famous um, hamburger pizza where you sign the wall. It's really a neat area. And then there's a place called the Kitchen that's really excellent food. It's down on Pearl Street. The Sink is up on the hill. Um, there's a, it's been voted like I think the number one foodiest town in America. There's a lot of great eating places in Boulder. When you went in and you hired Levitt and some of those other guys, did you do that with Recruiting Florida in mind, or was that just kind of a bonus? And, and you know, he was, he's kind of a name. You know, he was a head coach, a pretty a pretty celebrated head coach down here. Uh, was that hired for that reason? No, Jim, I was – well, combination. Jim, I was hiring mainly just for the defensive coordinator spot, but I knew he had a lot of contacts in Florida. There's no doubt about that. When I hired uh, Joe Tumpkin, um, he was for defense, but I knew he had a tremendous amount of contacts in the – in the um, you know Miami area and the South Florida area, and uh, I knew he would be able to do a great job recruiting there for us. What have you kind of seen out of the two Florida kids that we discussed earlier, Huntley and Jewel Missy? I mean, have they did they come in and kind of turn heads right away, or where are they kind of at development wise since they've been on campus? Well, they're playing as true freshmen, and uh, they can they can run. They're big. They're athletic. Um, they're really going to be good players, and um, they're they're doing really well. Um, they they've played in both the first two games, and and are are going to play key roles for us. They're they're really good athletes. We don't have a lot of freshmen playing, and they're they're two of the freshmen that are playing. I got to ask you, going back to Levitt, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you that. I know that there are a lot of teams, including my alma mater, uh, that there's always buzz around him as as a guy that's going to be a head coach again. Uh, has he? Have you fielded any inquiries in the last year about him? And, and if so, how's that gone for you? 
Uh, no, didn't fill any inquiries on him, but I know he'd be a great head coach again. Um, you know, he's he's very passionate, very good at what he does. He did a phenomenal job at South Florida. Um, they're building that program from scratch, and uh, he would make a great head coach again. And I'm, I, I hope that happens for him. Um, um, but right now he's doing a great job as a defensive coordinator for us. So what's the next step for you guys' this program? I mean, what kind of constitutes a successful season for Colorado in 2016? And what are you guys kind of looking for as far as measuring success? Well, you know, we're, we're doing like everybody else does, and is we want to win the Pac-12 championship. You know, we want to win the Pac-12 South, and we want to go to the Pac-12 championship game and then see what happens from there. And that's what our young men are shooting for. That's what we believe. And we have a, we have a good football team, um, and we feel like we can, um, you know, beat anybody we play. We just got to go do it. So we're, we're hoping to have very good success this year. What, what's kind of, you know, try to, I know you can't obviously talk about specific players, but are there needs that you're looking to fill in this class uh, that you're out recruiting right now? Are there, is there some kind of need or some kind of area that you guys are really trying to focus on as far as filling, filling bodies? You know, we have a lot of seniors in our senior class right now, so we're going to sign a full allotment of players, at least 25. And uh, so we're, we're looking for something at every position, really, to be honest with you, because um, we have a lot of guys graduating. Um, so we're... Um, we're on every every front, so it's not like last year we had a smaller class. We're kind of looking for certain things. This year, we're signing in, you know a few guys at every position, except for you know a quarterback. We'll just sign one quarterback, but um, at the other position, we'll sign a couple guys. What did you guys really set out looking for last year when you said you were setting out looking for some things last year? And, and do you think you kind of filled it? Yeah, we were looking for some receivers um, and uh, uh, DBs. We were also um, looking for some linebackers, and we felt like we did well there. And um, so that, those were kind of some areas that we were looking for last year. I got to ask your opinion here on, on you've been around the Pac-12 now a couple times. I mean, you've been there for for a while. What are, what's kind of the most imposing road environment there that you go into that you guys have had to face? Well, on the road, I mean, I guess you I guess you'd have to say it's either. Um, to me, it's either Oregon or Utah. Um, it's so loud in their stadiums, the way their stadiums are built. Their stadiums are built a lot like ours. Yeah, ours is built at the seventh hardest place in America to play. Altitude, and then it sits right on top of you. Our sidelines are so tight. So are Utah's and so are Oregon's. And it's, it goes straight up. And it, you can just everything vibrates and stays in the stadium. So um, they're really hard stadiums to hear in as a visitor. Oregon doesn't really surprise me. Utah takes me off guard a little bit. Is it really that loud in there? Do they fill that place up for, for home games? Yeah, they fill it up every game, and it's really loud. <laughs> really loud. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I haven't spent too much time in stadiums out there. I fucking choose that a beat writer. The, they have a thing off. they do for third downs. They keep a chart of it. Um, it, it, it. It gets loud in there. It really does. Oh, hold on. What do you mean they keep a chart of it? They keep a chart. Um, their student body is right there, and they keep a chart of you know, when they stop you on third down, they put up like, you know, like, like strikeouts. They put up a third down, a number three, a number three, a number three. Oh, so it stays up there the whole season then. They pack it every game and it's loud. And I think it holds, and yeah, I think the high 40s, but it, it goes straight up. I mean, it's right on top of you. We're going to do some non-football stuff before I let you get out of here, obviously. Uh, this is kind of fun stuff I like to do with some of the other coaches we've had on. What is on... Coach McIntyre's iPod right now. If you're going to queue up something to listen to, what's the last song you listen to? Wow. Um, the Newsboys and uh, um, the song Guilty. I like that song. What's the favorite movie in the world for you? Wow. Favorite movie in the world. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, oh, gosh. 
Um, I guess I'm a um, Matt Damon fan. I like some of his movies. You got to give me one in specific. I recently saw The Martian, which I thought was very good. But I mean, what else is? Uh, um, oh gosh, what are, I, I'm going blank. What are the movies that uh, he's like a spy guy? Ah, the Bourne uh, movies. Yeah, all the Jason Bourne movies. Yes, I like the Jason Bourne movies. I went blank for a minute. Jason Bourne. Yes, I have. I have somehow avoided seeing those, and I don't know how. Although people sing their praises. Yeah, they're pretty good. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I didn't want to keep you longer than 10 minutes. So I know you're busy getting ready for the game this weekend. And, you know, the next time I come out there, maybe we'll do the sink and I'll hang a picture of me and you next to President Obama or whatever. That'd be great. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Come on out. All right. What a scintillating conversation between a uh, uh, very surprised <laughs> Rob Cassidy and, <laughs> and Coach McIntyre. Now, Rob, he, he sort of sneak attacked you with that call, right? Yeah, you know, we had kind of discussed, or I discussed with the SID there a week before getting it done, and you know, I, I had no doubt that it would get done. I kind of have a relationship with with McIntyre, but you know, I didn't hear for a week, uh, and then you know, I get a call. He's like, "Are you ready to do this now?" <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, so I was kind of blindsided by the whole thing. I didn't have anything in front of me. Uh, you know, I, I did it standing up in my office. Uh, I was running out the door to go somewhere. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't great timing, but you know, he's great. I enjoy him uh, and I enjoy, you know, the things he has to say. And, you know, I think he's, he's a relatively smart, insightful guy. Uh, so if that interview wasn't uh, the best, it's on me, not on him. Oh, that's on you, coach. <laughs> uh, that's actually not Rob. It's not on coach. It's on Rob, who, uh, who is not a coach. Even though several children call him that on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, time for our tweet of the week. Don't stop tweeting me. Man, you chicken I know this is one that caught all of our eyes. Definitely something near and dear to our heart. Uh, Rob, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a rundown if you got it pulled up in front of you of uh, Matt Leinert, uh, this week's winner. What did he have to say? He tweeted that the last time <laughs> that he was in Norman, he was going there to do the Ohio State game, obviously, and he tweeted that the last time he was there was for his official visit where they treated him to Applebee's. <laughs> no wonder he didn't sign there, right? Yeah, I went to the exact wording, headed to Norman tomorrow. Haven't been back since I was treated to Applebee's on my recruiting trip in 2000. And boy, did, did it blow up. I see it got uh, almost 1,000 retweets, you know, 1,500 likes. And boy, we all know when you go to a new city, you're traveling, you got to go to a real restaurant. Don't go to Applebee's. Don't take a recruit to Applebee's. What are you doing? And also, I think the reason that it blew up, besides it just being a hilariously bad recruiting technique, is, boy, you want to play into Oklahoma stereotypes. I mean, is there anything more, you know, Midwestern than, you know, a recruiting dinner at Applebee's? <laughs> Stay somewhere nice, like an Applebee's. <laughs> I was famously uh, at a wedding a couple of years ago in Ohio. And, uh, you know, the, the, the groom was from Oregon and, you know, his, his family was setting up the rehearsal dinner and the, you know, the wedding was taking place at a country club, very fancy wedding. And, and they had said, you know, we were going to have it at the club, but we saw that there's this really nice restaurant down the street. It's called PF Chang's. <laughs> so oh, no, <laughs> make sure I, I you get, wear, so <laughs> make sure you wear something nice. <laughs> I get two things I can add to this liner tweet. One, our uh, Kerry Murdoch, who covers Oklahoma for us over at Soonerscoop.com, says that, you know, not in jest, after the, that, that was an era that happened where they were taking recruits to Applebee's. And then there was like, a, I talked to him about this. There was like a, apparently a year 
period after that where they upgraded to Outback Steakhouse. And that's not a joke. Like, that's a thing that actually happened. Like, so they moved up in the world. Apparently, they're not doing that anymore, obviously. But, I mean, they really upgraded <laughs> to, to the Outback Steakhouse for a year. I, I believe uh, Jacob oh, – go ahead, Nick. Uh, I was going to say, a lot of people don't know this about me. My first job ever was a server at Applebee's. And uh, after after a four-year stint there, believe it or not, my next job while part-timing at the Naples Daily News was a server at P.F. Chang. So I really hit on both those uh, <laughs> both those restaurants that Rob just mentioned. And I got news for you. If coach, if college coaches came in with, with a recruit that they were trying to impress and got me as their server, that guy... 10 years after his football career was over, would definitely be tweeting some disparaging words about the restaurant that he ate. <laughs> no question about it. I thought you were going to say you would have hooked him up with, you know, alcohol for underage or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Nope. Something. I let it be known. No, sorry. You play by the There were the no rules. hookups on my watch. So while yeah. I was making fun of while I was making fun of this whole situation on Twitter the other day, Applebee's followed me. So now I am uh, I'm one of the people in the world that is now followed on Twitter by Applebee's, which I think probably makes me want to delete my Twitter. I used to have a fair amount of stock in Applebee's, coincidentally, and then IHOP bought them, and then they liquidated all the Applebee's stock, and I got a nice little check. <laughs> I actually... Uh, For like 200 yeah, bucks. Talk about some cash. Um, I actually had a chance, you know, <laughs> we, we do know that several people on the rival staff frequent Applebee's when they're on the road, so uh, we can't disparage it too much. And I know yeah, a, man, a man on this staff made me eat at a Buffalo Wild Wings, and I won't name names, in New Orleans, which might be this, this is like a country's greatest food city uh, outside of New York. And I was forced to eat at a Buffalo Wild Wings once in New Orleans. It was miserable. Well, Cal famously took Demetrius Robertson and his family to Buffalo Wild Wings when they came for their uh, in-home visit. So, don't. Uh... Well, Buffalo Wild Wings is great because you know no, it's, it's uh, two meals for the price of one. You taste it coming back up too. <laughs> Jeez, we're gonna get in so much trouble for this. I'm, I already got in trouble for making. There goes our sponsor. Yeah, I got in trouble for making fun of Frontier Airlines. Hey, on well, uh... if, if anybody from Buffalo Wild Wings is listening to this, this is all a joke and sarcastic, and it's one of these millennial ironic things that you don't understand. We really love Buffalo Wild Wings, and we eat there every day. <laughs> So you should sponsor our podcast, <laughs> and we and we call it BW threes also. Uh, yes. So, so uh, let's move on to this week's game of the week. Last week we had Ohio State as a two point favorite at Oklahoma. I think uh, we can all say they they covered pretty comfortably uh, uh, that game. This week we have Arkansas and Texas A&M playing uh, an allegedly neutral site game at Jerry's World there at the AT and T Stadium in Arlington. And guess what? Texas A&M, a six-point favorite. So this is uh, in the old uh, Vegas zone, I believe, as uh, Bill Simmons calls it. Tough to pick here because of the point spread. Uh, what do you think, boys? What uh, What do we got on this one? Give me the road. Well, neutral side. Give me the road underdog, man. I will take. I'll take. I'll take the hogs. I'll take the Razorbacks and my man Brett Bielma. Uh, not only do I think they cover that, uh, I think they they win outright. Wow, Nick, Nick, what do you got? Yeah, I, I pick Arkansas to at least cover as well. I, I'm fascinated by them. You know, I watched. Uh, I haven't watched a ton of Arkansas football. I did watch their game against TCU, and the way that they uh, really just got into, you know, just got into the fiber of whatever TCU was trying to do on offense, just slowed them down, made them miserable, uh, and just played a tidy game offensively themselves. You know, makes me think that they're, uh, you know, that they're a fascinating. 
choice, not not just for this game, but you know, as an SEC contender this year as well. Yeah, well, you guys didn't watch Arkansas's first game where they stunk and they should have lost. So guess what? We're going all in with the old Aggies. Uh, oh man! The, despite the American Horror Story uh, threats we received from them last year, I'm I'm taking the Aggies and I'm taking the six points and uh, Trevor Knight and company. You know, Speedy Noel have his Rolex on, and we're going to roll right in there to to uh, Arlington and get the victory. Hey, before we move on from the subject, let me ask you this. Let me ask you guys both this: What is broken with this spread? Am I missing something as far as Florida State? Minus six against USF. I, 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 boy, you want to talk about the Rob Cassidy Stone Cold Lock of the Week? I don't understand <laughs> that. Well, hey, you, uh, you have you have you heard of a little man named Quentin Flowers? Because uh, you know he he is the star for USF, um, and we saw them have a problem with a running quarterback last week. So you never know he might give them some issues we'll see i mean let's see feel free to play this audio back about the stone cold lock of the week next week when they lose well i would i would also take florida state minus six in that game uh despite several friends of the podcast being members of the usf football team uh from mine and nick's days down covering football in southwest florida all right now it's time for the segment everyone's been waiting for. I know several people tell me they just skip ahead to this part in the show. So, um, it's, time for, it's time for rants and recommendations. Uh, boy, Rob, you were on the road this weekend. We, I, we floated around a couple segments, ideas, stories from the road and stuff like that. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of roll that into this segment this week. You were in Louisiana, which, by the way, uh, someone's texting me right now complaining you didn't let them know that, that you were going to be there. Uh, in who, who, Jimmy? Who was I supposed to? Oh, no. <laughs> well, you can't say it on the podcast. Nick, I'll have to edit that out. Uh, I'll bleep it. Yeah, yeah. bleep it. Uh, so you you were you were staying at a Marriott chain, of course, hotel, but Marriott's expanded into some type of niche market, I guess. Yeah, Tell yeah. They buy out boutique hotels, which for the most part are very good. Uh, and I won't name names on this because I do enjoy Marriott. Uh, you know, I am a very loyal customer, a platinum member. If Marriott wants to sponsor this podcast, by all means. Uh, but the place that I stayed was like if they held a millennial focus group and they just like took everything. I mean, I walked into this place. All right. First of all, there's no check-in desk at this place. You check in at the bar. You get a free drink uh, when you check in, which I could obviously not cash in on because I was working that night. Uh, but, you know, the walls are decorated with hashtags. There's cards against humanity on every table in the lobby. Uh, giant Jenga in the lobby. Uh, there was a pillow in my room that said treat yourself on my bed. Uh, it, I mean, it was really, really cringeworthy, man, because it's like one of these things where it's like, who doesn't see through this? Like, it, it, I mean, it was so bad. It was trying so, so hard. Uh, oh, the video boards in the lobby were also just streams of the Instagram feed where if anybody hashtagged the hotel name that uh, Instagram pictures would come up because millennials love Instagram too, right? Uh, there were signs in the workout room that had kettlebells that said grab life by the bells. Uh, there was a out of order sign on what there was an out. There was an, now this is maybe the best part. There was an out of order sign on one of the exercise bikes that said something like, instead of saying, you know, this is broken or whatever, it said something like, yo, bro, uh, this is, uh, it's my day off. Your quads will thank you. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Man, if Womack would have been in this place, he might've set it on fire. And that's not an exaggeration because I don't get as angry as easily as Woody does about these things. I was upset enough to call Woody and complain for 20 minutes. He would have 
lit the place on fire. Uh, well, to be fair, you tried to complain to me for 20 minutes, and I got so mad I didn't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I, I, was ready to, I was ready to get off the phone because I didn't want to hear about it. It made me so mad. I mean, I'm with you. It's like, you know, but I would never stay at uh, such a boutique hotel. I know Marriott, I actually saw that they recently uh, completed their merger with uh, Starwood or whatever. So, boy, there should be plenty more options for uh, – you Marriott loyalists out there, so you won't have to stay at these type of places. Oh, also in by the desk, you know, like where uh, I forgot to point this out too, like where you would normally go, you know, like the business center where you go to like print things out or whatever. There was a sign over the computer that said hashtag work. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Everyone's already shut off the podcast now because they hate this place so much. <laughs> now this rolls into my rant, which uh, I believe you said there was Cards Against Humanity available in the lobby. Every table. Every table on the bar had a set on there. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Cards Against Humanity has been so played out for like five years. It's not funny. It's a game for people who aren't funny to play when they have nothing to say to each other, okay? Nah, I agree. I think it was two years ago when I swore off I would never play the game again I, when I went to some place and played it, and it was so boring. First of all, it's just Mad Libs, people. It's not It's not that creative of a game. Number two, you can cuss. We're adults. You're allowed to cuss. You don't have to have a card game to let you, you know, say cuss words. So, you know... I'm so mad now. I can't even complain. I can't. Even, I can't. Well, that, that's okay. Keep, you, you complain about. I don't know if you realize or not, but you complain about this every three weeks or so, every four weeks. So, uh, well, you. This is you, like the happy anniversary to this rant. <laughs> I, I complain about it. You. The problem is, uh, my whole life is a real life segment of just rants, no recommendations. So, you guys have you guys have heard me complain about it several times. I brought this one out in him because I called him complaining about at the hotel and the first thing I think I told him because I knew it would push a Womack button was about the Cards Against Humanity but there were probably six sets on six different tables uh, nobody was playing it but they were there alright uh, you have a complaint Nick I see you wrote something down yeah 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 this is I'll keep it I'll keep it brief because a lot of this goes without saying yeah you know this past weekend I was on the road I, you know it was a big travel weekend for me I was in I was in Denton and then Houston the following day so I spent a lot of time in the car I actually brought my lovely wife with me on this trip so there was a lot of podcast listening uh, and the car rides and there's one that she's uh, taken a liking to that we listen to um, you know she's a big NPR fan as I know uh, Rob Cassidy is as well and there's a podcast called Modern Love that we were listening to and it has you I know, have sometimes cutesy sometimes sad stories yeah 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 my my complaint isn't isn't with the podcast so much but just the like you know listen we get into a situation and it's like NPR has an author come on to, to talk about a book and it's like they write a book they write an essay or whatever then we okay so this Modern Love podcast has an actor or actress do the reading of the essay, which is, I guess, kind of cool. Then they have the author come on and then just really just meticulously break down every single, like, this is the emotion we were trying to evoke here. This is the point we were trying to make here. And it's just like these authors come on there and they just think they're the bee's knees with, you know, the their cleverness with with what, what they were trying to do. And it's like, you know what, guys, let your let your work speak for itself and have that be the end of it. And NPR, too shame for, you know, trying to, you know, just turn a 15 minute podcast into 45 minutes because we have to read everything three times over to get the picture. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I know I noticed there's a lot there's a lot of these podcasts, you know, and I know Rob's a big fan of the NPR ones where, uh, 
you feel like you should be listening to it because it seems like a like a clever premise or whatever, and then you're listening to it and you're really actually bored, and but you keep listening for whatever reason. Uh, and I think that might be a case of that one. I actually have a, a podcast I like, uh, which is, you know, it was a little boring at first to get into. I would highly recommend it, uh, Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. I don't think it's related to NPR, but it's the same type of shtick. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a famous author. Uh, but he talks, there's a little sports talk mixed in there and some, you know, some interesting stuff uh, that I think people would enjoy. I enjoyed listening to the series. I recently finished it up. So uh, you can find that on iTunes as well. Rob, what do you say? Uh, yeah, you should, I uh, recently started following uh, We Rate Dogs on Twitter, which you can find at, at dog underscore rates, kind of like my Twitter handle, which is Cassidy at underscore Rob. <laughs> Ring the bell for that plug. Um, anyway, the best part about this thing is it's pictures of cute dogs. And every dog is rated either an 11 or a 12 on a 10 scale because they're all good dogs, Woody, all of them. Uh, there's no reason to take a jab at any of them. But if you'd like to spruce up your Twitter feed with some pictures of some adorable canines I would, uh, and, and some pretty funny captions at times, I would, I would recommend following at dog underscore rates. They're all good dogs. Yeah, well, so wait, are all the dogs rated 10s then? No, not 10s, 11s and 12s out of 10. Oh, my God. No, no, I hate this. <laughs> you know, I recently, uh, man, I, I have a major, you know, guess what? It's a bonus rant. I cannot interact with humans with dogs anymore. I take my dog out and everyone's like, eh, uh, my dog's not good with other dogs. It's like, you're a spaz. The dog is fine. You're, you're the problem. If, if guess what? If you're listening to this podcast and your dog is not good with other dogs, it's you. You're not good with other people and you're not good with other dogs. It's time to take a look in the mirror. Here's my bonus rant. Everybody in Austin, Texas owns a dog except for us. And we can't go, you know, we like to go out for walks in the morning, in the afternoon, wherever. We can't go for a walk anywhere without sidestepping dog poop everywhere. Nobody cleans up after their dogs and every single person has a dog. It's all over the place. Hey, let's not, epidemic. let's not take this out on the dogs, though, because they're good dogs. They're all good dogs. No, they're not it's all It's the owners dogs. that are bad. They're Guess all good what? dogs. Guess what? I've, inter- I've encountered some bad dogs in my day, namely Charlie. Shots fired at you, Charlie. The- <laughs> Wait a minute. This is, this is coming from a guy whose dog <laughs> killed a family member's cat, right? <laughs> well, no. They're still under investigation. Okay. <laughs> there's never been a... There's never... There's, <laughs> he's never no been convicted. Yeah, we settled out of court in the civil suit. So <laughs> there's never been a wrongful death uh, uh, <laughs> case. He's never been convicted. Uh, so <laughs> don't be smirched the name. Per this Twitter account, not every dog is an 11 or a 12 out of 10. Yeah. I don't care what that Twitter account yes, has to say. Because they're all good dogs. All right. Well, this is a bad podcast, so <laughs> we better wrap it up. <laughs> we better wrap it up. Uh, I did forget to promote everything at the beginning of the show. No one's listening anymore now, so I guess we'll just wait till next week to do it. Big shout to M, M. Deuce for providing us with our music. And uh, please at least subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. Our, our numbers are up considerably. Uh, we hope to keep them going up so we can get a couple sponsorships. I need some of the, I need some of that blue apron. I need some uh, stamps.com coming in here. So we just gave them two free shout-outs. So, uh, we'll Buffalo be... Wild Wings, if you're still listening, we still want you. I'm sorry for everything we said. No, I don't want you. You can keep it. <laughs> you can keep your dirty money. <laughs> That's it for this week. We'll be back with another show, uh, hopefully next Wednesday. Wednesday.